My name is Brent. I'm Jenna. Those are our first names, obviously. We can't tell you our last names. The controllers are everywhere. Everywhere. And if they knew my full name, they could find me and my friends, and then... Well, let's just say that would be the end of the podcast. Welcome to Fandalites, the podcast where we read and discuss every book in the Animorph series by K.A. Applegate in order. This week we're discussing book one, The Invasion, in which a group of 13-year-olds, Jake, Marco, Cassie, Rachel, and Tobias, take a shortcut through a disused construction site where they discover a dying alien, an Andalite prince named Alfangor, who warns them of an ongoing invasion by a race of mind-controlling slug aliens, the Yerks. Uh, To combat the Yerks, Elfangor gifts them with the power to shapeshift into any animal they've touched, which is a process called morphine. They're warned that if they stay in a morph longer than two hours, they'll be stuck there forever. That's what we call foreshadowing. Then York forces show up, killing Elfangor and forcing them to flee. Uh, We're introduced to a few different kinds of aliens early on here. Andalites, which are a blue deer centaur with a scorpion tail. Taxons, uh, which are giant lasagna noodle centipedes. Uh, hork bajir which are these sort of dinosaur snake head blade people and uh yurks which are gray mind controlling slugs uh the group infiltrate a meeting of a yurk host recruitment group called the sharing and discover that jake's older brother is a yurk controller they attempt to launch a rescue mission by attacking the yurk pool which is a sort of uh nutrient slurry that yurks have to leave their hosts and enter every three days in order to survive uh, that's hidden in a giant underground cavern under their town. Uh, but they're foiled by Visser 3, which is a, a yerk high muckety-muck who controls the only Andalite host that's ever been taken and can therefore also morph. Tobias is forced to hide out longer than the two-hour time limit and is permanently trapped in the form of a red-tailed hawk. There's also a Benny Hill-esque chase scene at the gardens where Jake acquires a tiger morph. Okay, so first up, actually, I, I read both the original and the, the 2011 re-release with updated cultural references. Yeah, I'm dying. I'm dying. Brent, I'm dying for it. I know. Okay, so here's the thing. I was really hoping that it would be... I, I think my expectation was for a greater rewrite than we actually got. Hmm. In reality, there was one change that I actually noticed uh, in book one. And it's that in on like page two, in the original... Jake says that he usually does pretty good playing video games against Marco at the arcade because he has a Sega at home, (laughs) and so gets in lots of practice, Uh, and in the updated version, he just has a system at home. Mm. That's fair. Sega's not a a safe bet. I wouldn't put my money on Sega being relevant for forever. Yeah, well, and obviously they didn't want to replace it with something more up-to-date because they didn't want to get bit by that again. Yeah, which I totally, totally get. So to to explain the the re-releases, they they re-released them. It was it 2010, 2011? Somewhere around there. Yeah, they re-released the first like eight books. Yep, eight books. Uh, they were planning on releasing the whole re-releasing the whole series, I think, but there wasn't enough. They they weren't getting that that money back that they were hoping on that investment of re-releasing the Animorph books in 2010. But they were supposed to have updated references, and they all had different covers as well. Only They only did the first eight books, so obviously the series was not as evergreen as the Hardy Boys, which my dad tells me they also regularly re-release with updated cultural references. God, that I'm, I'm super curious about that. Because I feel like at a certain point, especially with a sci-fi book, 
at a certain point, updating the cultural references is really only going to get you so far. And I, I mean, in keeping with my thoughts on how much the publisher cares about these books from the prequel episode, uh, I, I can't imagine them committing to anything more than uh, search for the word Sega, Sega appears, delete Sega. Like, I, it's hard for me to picture them investing more time in updating these books than that. Yeah, that's fair. So K.A. Applegate puts a lot of words in describing the physical process of morphine. Yeah, that's weird. It's, I mean, it's... It's so far and away the most descriptive parts of the book. Yes. I, that was really, that really struck me. Because, I mean, the prose is simplistic. Yeah, it's, they, I they mean, really it's, read like a 13-year-old is dictating them. Yes, yeah, and no, no, no slight to thirteen-year-olds, but it's got—it's just a very straightforward cutting. Like this is what is happening right now. Right. But the the morphing section and also some of the more visceral sections of uh, alien eating. Yeah, the violence. Yeah, yeah. If anything, I think her prose lingers so heavily over that and really dashes off the rest. Like I, I know when I'm writing. I, and if I'm rereading things I've written, the parts that I've clearly been excited about read a lot different than the parts that I have to slog through to get to the really interesting stuff. And that's sort of the feeling I got reading this book. It was like, oh, K.A. Applegate is bullshitting us through all these mall scenes so that she can get to the really gross, juicy stuff where you're eating live spiders and you can feel them bouncing around in your stomach. Fuck, Jenna. I really, I was just thinking like, oh, this is where Kay Applegate gets to bust out all her awesome metaphors and similes and like really show off that she has better writing chops than the rest of the book that's almost perfunctory in its straightforwardness. But are you suggesting that this is her fetish? I'm not suggesting that because I think we overuse the word fetish. I, I, what I'm suggesting is that she really probably just really loves writing sci-fi horror like that that's the part that she's really interested in. Yeah, and the that's so that's the tailored suit that she's hanging on this really plain hanger of my name's Jake. I I, I didn't make the basketball team. <laughs> Shucks. But hey, listen to me describe my bones crunching for 12 pages. <laughs> I I almost want to pu- pull some sort of parallel to puberty. Because it's the right time period, 12, 13, 14 year olds, and your body's going through all these weird, confusing, horrifying changes. Yeah, you know, your skin melting wax into feathers. Yeah, just like in puberty. Yeah, exactly right? like in when, puberty. When your knees went backwards and like you become this horrible gray pink fleshy mound with horns coming out of your face. I mean, that's puberty, man. Don't talk about my gray pink fleshy mound. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no no shade to you either, Brent. Sorry. Just the body horror of these books. Uh, the, when I was reading the sequence in which Jake finds the sort of the hole into the underground yerk pool and he hears all the screams and like all this chatter and sound from underneath it, I was really struck by how much it reminded me of H.P. Lovecraft's Rats in the Walls. The, the idea that there's this hidden, you pull back a, a staircase or, or a bookshelf or whatever, and there's this pit descending into the earth where there are human chattel. Like, that's that's rats in the walls. That's right from it. I, I mean, it, it also gave me, like, Buffy Hellmouth vibes. Like, under being underneath the, the high school. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. That and the class skipping. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, th- so there's just something about all of that. It's just, it's forming this collage of, I think K.A. Applegate is maybe just super into horror, but this is the book that she wanted to write. She wanted to write sci-fi horror for young adults. So that's what we got. Definitely. Yeah, I will say, I think the, the writing is brisk. Like, I think that, like, the arguments that they have about whether or not they should get involved, um, I do... The writing on that made me a little uncomfortable because it's clearly like Rachel and Cassie have their own ideas, but they are somehow put into either Tobias or Marco's camp. Like Tobias and Marco have strong ideas. One wants to join and one one doesn't. And then Rachel and Cassie are just sort of put on their teams rather than that. That was sort of a weird framing for me. But uh, I mean, if we're going to break into the gender roles discussion of this. Yeah, Uh, let's do it. Like, why is Jake the one that they decide is in charge? It's a fucking good question. Like... I I get it, but it's, like, it's very 90s. Like, he's the token white dude who's into basketball, so he's in charge. Rachel's a much more natural leader. Yeah. Just for my money. Yeah, and he, he... I feel like he even points out the fact that Rachel pretty much always seems to have her shit together. Yeah. I Yeah, I feel like the series would be a lot different if Rachel were in charge. Uh, I think they would have been maybe a lot more aggressive and decisive. Whereas I feel like Jake faffs around like a lot about like, I don't believe we can morph. And then, oh, we can morph, but I don't know if we should get involved. And it's like... I think oh, he's. I don't think that. I refuse to believe my brother's a controller, despite all of this evidence. Oh my god! I see. I feel like Cassie. I think she would also be a good leader. Again, yeah, for what she's saying, she's like she's very thoughtful and compassionate. But I almost worry like this is war. <laughs> it is war, and I I worry Cassie would. I mean, maybe Jake is the balance between those two points of of Rachel's very proactive aggression and and decisiveness and Cassie's very calm, compassionate but almost reserved nature. God, there is a pretty great point uh at which Marco basically just forces Jake to do a privilege check. Uh <laughs> because real life hasn't happened to him like it has happened to Marco and Tobias. Yeah. Marco's reasonings I thought were like they're legit. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't. It's hard to argue his point. Like if he dies, his dad's all alone. That's some. That's some shit, man. If you have a, if you have a shitty life, or not even a shitty life, but if you don't have a perception of your future, or you're super dissatisfied with what's going on, like, yeah, I think, yeah, throw all in. Why not? You're a bird now. Congratulations. Is this what you wanted? You're a bird now. Because if you stay as a person, then you can change into literally any animal. You have superpowers. And you're like, "Ah, I think I'm just going to be a bird, actually. I think I'm going to die in like eh, five years. (laughs) It's it's probably fine. See, that's the thing. That's that's what gets me is the the shortened lifespan. Because presumably presumably he won't live as long as a human would. Presumably he'll live as long as a hawk would. And, like, was he going to age like a hawk, or is he just going to be this all, always this perfect... Elfangor's death radicalized them. They're radicalized youth now. <laughs> like, they, uh, they, don't, they don't care about their potential brutal death, because they're, they'll be martyrs and get their 79 morphs in yeah, heaven. I was going to say, yeah. Their 79 hawks in heaven. Yeah, se- 79 animal morphs in Andalite heaven. I mean, radicalization is not an off metaphor either these are people whose homeland is being invaded by outsiders who have completely different cultural values that they don't understand 
you've got some radicalized teens. They don't really have any options other than asymmetric warfare. Yeah, and I mean, the Yerks aren't... I mean, I don't think the Yerks... I don't think that's a perfect one-to-one metaphor because the Yerks aren't trying to just subjugate. They are trying to annihilate human culture and society by just getting worms in everybody. I mean, annihilating a culture is sort of something the British were super into uh, when they were an empire. The British also wanted to preserve certain parts of the... I mean, because if you annihilate I mean, food, a culture, you can't exoticize terrible, it. But... Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, you take from the culture that you're colonializing, you take the things that you want to maintain. You don't think but I don't Yerks? think that's really the Yerks. I don't think the Yerks are like really excited about ice cream or you whatever You don't think bullshit. they would have appropriated any human culture? I mean, maybe. <laughs> oh, shit. Are the Yerks capitalism? Is that the metaphor here? Oh, shit. I think that works. I think that works better than just a, a, a straightforward colonialist perspective. Because if because capitalism is is basically the best at repackaging and selling anything that opposes it i'm gonna edit that so i'm gonna edit that so it just says so you're just saying capitalism is the best i'm done hoisted by my own petard (laughs) that brings up sort of an a thing that that i was thinking about that never really occurred to me when i was reading these as a teenager but so they make a big deal out of how you're acquiring the DNA pattern yeah. of, uh, of these animals to change into them. Uh, but then they change into like a full grown adult version. How is that determined exactly? I don't know. Yeah, there is something weird, especially because like they it's it's said that they have like the mind of the animal. That's also not it, like an animal's memories are not stored in their DNA. But you have uh, Homer smelling and or or jake as homer smelling and remembering the the scent of urine from another dog how what how what i feel like that's just a first book goof because a lot of the other morphs they just talk explicitly about it being instincts that's the only instance Mm. that i can think of where they're actually being like oh yeah i recognize that because my dog homer remembers it yeah that's a good point Maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe Jake has that knowledge himself instinctively and he didn't realize it until he was a dog and, oh, and put those shit. pieces together. Maybe he he's recognizes that dog's urine. Yeah, that's a Jake memory masquerading as Homer. No, I, I totally buy though that she like wrote that Jake scene and then later on uh, figured, oh shit, I included like an animal, a wild animal rescue for Cassie's parents. Uh, I guess injuries can't transfer over that's basically useless <laughs> yeah all of those morphs are useless i morphed into a bird with a broken wing <laughs> like fuck just the worst so we have to capture a live uninjured bird ah it's so much harder god i do really love uh i do really love when when his older brother tom calls him a bad dog and he's just destroyed emotionally <laughs> I, i'm not a bad dog am i <laughs> yeah i am curious i didn't look this up this might be worth looking up for next time i'm curious what k applegate's background is because obviously she's an author i don't know if she like was into biology it feels like there's got to be that that in her history there's an interview with her in the fan club newsletter that i Excellent. got uh Insider. where she talks about how she i i don't think it was zoo books specifically but she talks about how she basically just had to do a lot of research for every animal that somebody morphed into to figure out what instincts they would have and 
the sort of uh, uh, behavior that they would exhibit. Right. Well, that's good. I, I don't think she that. necessarily had that background. I think she just decided, well, I, I want to do this right. Even though like it's a, a teenager series and they're not going to know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it was sold as hy- hypothetically educational. They're in Tampa, right? <laughs> they're in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> like, that's where they live. I Yeah. You mean the sci-fi... The sci-fi state of Florida that doesn't exist in our real reality, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, the gardens, a.k.a. Bush Gardens, they live next to a large, uh, like, theme park slash zoo. Yeah. Uh, they live in a, near the beach, they live in a place where both anoles and red-tailed hawks are occurring, like, natively, not as rescues. Yeah, I feel like later on, they talk a lot about evergreen trees. Like, there's, like, an, an evergreen forest. Yeah, I haven't read those books in decades, so right now I'm feeling yeah. Tampa. Yeah, uh, no, I, may I like that. this. Yeah. But it's basically right now, uh, assuming the, the gardens isn't bush gardens, it's just some other large animal park. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be somewhere in the southeastern seaboard. Whoa. That's a bold, strong statement. I hope that every single book contradicts every other single book. I remember this having a pretty divergent... I, like, I feel like there are also mountains. I feel like there's probably a lot going on, and maybe there wasn't a single city in mind, but I hope there is, and I hope we uncover it. You know, if if there are mountains in a later book, and I feel like you're right, because I feel like I remember the free Hork-Bajir uh, ending up settling yeah. in the mountains there. They've then got it's the other Mesa hideout. Yeah, it's the other bush gardens then. It's uh, they they live near Williamsburg, Virginia. In that case, <laughs> it's got to be the ocean because they turn into dolphins in a later book. Yeah. So if I were an animorph, I feel like I would be touching every animal, bug, anything I came across, and they. I feel like they miss a lot of opportunities to get more morphs. They're like, uh, I'm gonna get the elephant morph, so nobody else can have the elephant morph. Like yeah. that seems like a bad strategy to me. It really is. I feel like they definitely use the exact same animal not just the same animal morph but the morph of the exact same animal at a later book but probably i mean how many dolphins can they really get their hands on fair well cassie's mom works at bush gardens that's true how many dolphins does bush gardens in tampa florida have probably a lot man they're owned by SeaWorld. probably a lot do you think that there are like yerk I mean, there are, I guess they are, there are your hierarchies with the, like the bodies they yeah, you get. you got the viscers at the top. You got the, yeah. the shit eaters at the bottom of Ship Mountain. Uh, whoever's in Tom right. has an unenviable position. Hmm. Yeah. God. Yeah. Let's talk about Tom and let's talk about the fucking, the shit, the sharing. God, could the Yerks have picked a more <laughs> ominous name for their fucking <laughs> recruitment front than the sharing? It is like, to me, it is like a quintessentially creepy 90s club name. Cult? Cult name? Cult, yeah, yes. Church, church-ish religious cult. It's weird yeah. that K.A. Applegate did not choose to make this like a church youth group because the sharing sounds like a church youth group. And it seems and, like a yeah. church youth group is an obvious front for a bunch of teenagers getting together with adult supervision. I I have to wonder if she didn't leave the religious overtones out of it on purpose yeah i mean i think those overtones are easy to read in they are i feel like in the 
mid to late 90s it probably would have been it probably would have tanked the book to come out and say yeah they're this religious they're they're, they have a religious group that's (laughs) recruiting people to be alien hosts whose brains change i mean i was just gonna i'm so aching to talk about this woman that they say yes that's about what i was gonna bring up so yes so daring their ride of the valkyries into the yerk pool uh they they rescue they free a bunch of uh controllers whose yerks are currently in the pool absorbing kendrona rays but okay so this woman so yeah they they fuck up pretty bad pretty bad yeah pretty pretty much as bad as you can fuck up they managed to make it out with just one former controller that they've saved who's yeah i mean they saved cassie which is good okay yeah they lose tobias which is also fine well There's like a hole in the ceiling of that chamber they could see the stars through. So I feel like Tobias might have yeah. done this on purpose. Oh, oh I definitely, yeah. Okay, I, I'm glad you said that because I definitely got the impression that Tobias was like, oh, whoops. Like he's been planning oh, this the whole time. Oh. Yeah, like it, this is a series of such obviously poor decisions. It feels like it was on purpose. God, that would blow. Like, it, I mean, getting getting stuck as any animal sucks, but getting if you got to get stuck as as one animal other than a human i feel like a hawk's pretty cool i mean it might not be what i would choose but it's pretty cool so yeah hey what the fuck happens to this woman i mean she can't she can't go back home like her 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 life's over she can't trust anybody because she knows that yurks exist and a whole bunch of people she knows probably are controlled I'm going to have goddamn nightmares about that woman. I mean, presumably they just immediately recapture her because they know where she lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want, I bet, I bet if there isn't, I might have to write the epic AU fan fiction that follows that woman on her epic struggles not to get caught. Jenna, it might already exist. I hope it already exists. It might, it might exist on a GeoCities fan site somewhere. Like all of my Animorphs fan fiction from when I was in middle school. Yeah. And my uh, yeah. my Animorphs role-playing game adaptation from when I was in junior high. Oh, God. God. Well, that'll be it for this week. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for our intro and outro music. You can listen to his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fandalites. Email us at fandalites at gmail.com. Check out our website, fandalites.com. Next week, we'll be doing book two, The Visitor. So we'll see you then. Bye, folks. And remember, nostalgia is a drug. Thank you.